Welcome back to Typically Unique. I'm Kim Aponte. I'm here with my husband, Carlos. Hello. And today, um, we just decided to have a conversation on camera. A keep it real conversation. Keep it real. So um, I think after the first 10 episodes, um, we kind of admittedly to each other realized that we were skipping over some things that maybe are a little bit sensitive and precursors to a lot of things that um, may happen later on and maybe we're not setting the table as well as we probably should and um, and we're struggling with how to do that right and part of that is is you know there's a lot of people that you know, are part of this story that aren't sitting here at this podcast table having this conversation. And um, so we know that's sensitive. There's some sensitive things, but, um, you know, we just started having a conversation earlier. And at the end of the day, my realization to all this is, is this is our story. This is our memoir. I think you even put that on our, it is. our title podcast page. podcast is a memoir. Yeah, it's our memoir. It's how we remember things. Um, it's how we were affected during this process. Um, and to be honest, when I look back on everything that has happened in our life so far, it's unbelievable, <laughs> a lot of it. People wouldn't believe it. You're not going to believe it. And... <laughs> It's not all good. There's, you know, some things in there that we're struggling with of what to say, how to say it, should you say it. But there's things to learn from it and warnings to give to others. And it's almost one of those cycles that, I don't know if that's the right word, but... Um, it needs to be said in order to change things, but then people are afraid to say those things because shame or fear. Guilt. Yes. And so it's a conundrum. That's what it is. It's a conundrum of, you know, what to say, when to say it. I don't know. So, That's what we're struggling with. Well, and, and plus, we made a lot of decisions based on no information. Right. We had to, we have established, which we are intending to share with everybody out there, our data point. I'm sure that there are some other data points out there, but they've never been connected with what we've went through. Right. I know that there are certain things that happen, um, not to tease things, but I know there are certain things that happen medically, maybe through the mental health system that we are probably the lone data point. I know for a fact that there is medically, we were the first, that mm -hmm. something medically, there was a big medical change in the medical system because of what we advocated for, that people were telling us, impossible. Yep. Um, and we actually helped facilitate, we didn't come up with the cure, but we helped facilitate and recognize that a cure was possible for something that, um, right. you know, people were telling us absolutely no. We were the lone data point. Probably to this day, we are still the lone data point, and we'll get into that later. But I think what we're struggling with is 
we have friends and family and coworkers and people we've met along the way that maybe look through their lens at us mm-hmm. and see, oh, well, you know, they have a nice family, you know, uh, you know, two kids and a couple dogs and, you know, they live in a nice neighborhood and they both got nice professional jobs and their kids present very well in public. And, and all that's true. And But they don't know what happened behind closed doors. You know doors. what you know. I mean, <laughs> yeah. That's what, for everybody. Everybody is like that. But there are things that... You know, going through this journey, we know we have a lot of loved ones and friends that are watching going, oh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, yes, I was there for that. And they think, you know, uh, through all of that, that, you know, oh, everything's great. Everything's fine. And we're thinking, "Mm, no, no, it's not. And today, the way things are currently today, and we're not getting into that story explicitly yet because we're trying to, you know, tell things over time, but I'm struggling today. We are struggling today with things um, that have built up through this journey. So it's, when through our stories are, are we sharing certain things and how to say them and when to say them? So w- a little joke in our houses is that we are the king and queens of pronouns, right? We will give some information, but not specific information, right? <laughs> yeah, he'll always have to establish the noun. Yeah, so, establish the noun. Yeah, please establish the noun about. because we will. Because s- I'll just say, hey, she did this. <laughs> yeah, and she did things. Well, what are the things, <laughs> right. right? And what are some of the data points that we're talking about? Uh, what are those specifics? And we are glazing over a lot of that. And Kim and I, um, through dinner tonight with um, her brother in law, my brother, um, who gives us great feedback. Yeah, it gives us great feedback. And, you know, and they're saying, look, I know the story because I'm closely connected. There's things that I don't know. But when we go into the details with him, because he's a trusted source, right? He's a family member. He's somebody that we both feel very comfortable sharing all of our family dirty secrets. Even the ugly details. Even the ugly details. He's like, look, you know, you're... I, I know some of these details and I feel like you're holding back, you know, and I don't, I don't, I can't put the whole story together because I feel like there are things that you aren't sharing or there's things I know that you aren't sharing. And, um, we're having a hard time with that because I think going into this, we wanted to do it twofold, right? The first reason was we wanted to document our history for our children in the future if they ever get past the point of you know young adulthood and you know maybe being um you know a little bit more mature in their lives not to say that they aren't but at the point where they could really sit down and listen to this and understand our perspective they lived their life through this but do they really understand what we dealt with? What it was really like be- being the for parents us. and the decision yes. makers dur- during these times. And I know that they did not absolutely love every decision we made through this. So we wanted to share with them, not through journal entries or you know Facebook memories or anything like that. Our words, from our, our voices. Exactly, our own words as to what that was like, why things happened 
during that time period, why we made those decisions. So this was for us to document that. Mm -hmm. And we also felt that we got a lot of help along the way with some people that was completely unexpected. We also ran into some pretty big barriers along the way, you know, in the mental health system, in the medical uh, arena, where we banged our head against the wall. And we wanted to share some stories, share some, you know, moments in time that you may be facing. And how did we navigate that horrific obstacle course that was in front of right. us. It kills me that someone else, I know people, I, I know real people right now that are fighting that system and it's ridiculous and it infuriates me. And I don't know, it, I don't know how it's going to change, but I know it needs to get called out. I know it's like a hidden, it's like that hidden little secret that nobody <laughs> wants to talk about because anything that can have shame attached to it you know, people just don't want to talk about and people will say things and we just have to be willing. And I, that's what I struggle with. You know, I have to be willing to take that negative commentary from people that are going to be judgmental. And how could she talk about that and say those things about, you know, her child or her family members or things like that. But, you know, we're going to have to... Uh, be willing to do it in a way. And that's what we're talking about is how can we do it in that way where we can say what we want to say, keep it in a way that is, how would you describe it? Um, well, you just use a fantastic <laughs> sentence full of pronouns that <laughs> we are struggling with. And I think what we are trying to decide, and we were having this conversation upstairs <laughs> just 20 minutes ago and said we should have this conversation this real conversation on camera you know right now on this podcast because this is a struggle and when we say these things happen to us we need to replace those pronouns you know with the nouns things, the, right, the, the that things. that actually happened and so well let me <clears throat> i'm gonna start with one okay okay so when Aiden was little, um, toddler, one, two years old, you know, he's in those developing ages. You know, I'm an educator. I have training um, in child development. So, you know, I was uh, on alert for those things and some things, you know, were kind of like some red flags to me. He seemed to be showing sensory issues as an infant sounds bothered him um that was probably one of the things that stood out at first um and then when he got a little bit older um textures things like that um his speech i had mentioned that we had him in speech at 18 months old because you know i was on top of all those developmental milestones you should be meeting you know when should they be saying their first word you know how many words should they have at this at this time and we were the only two people who could understand him when he had, you know, a good amount of words he was saying, enough to, like, communicate. Um, we were the only people that could understand him, so we got him into speech right away. Um, the, what was the other well, issue just, I was telling you? Well, let's just go back to the sensory, right, if we're going to start there. Yeah. Um, so 
is it fair to say before we go into the sensory that we're just we're going to throw it out there? We're just going to do it. We're just going to talk about all these things and just you know, respectfully as we can, just talk about all the things that <laughs> <laughs> I do want to share everything and I want to do it in a respectful way. That's, you know, I just say, you know, you don't have to say all the details, gory details, yeah, all the gory details. Okay. Right? Cause well, so. so let's establish now that there are a lot of gory details, but we won't specifically say what those gory details are right we'll but we'll allude to a, yeah. yeah we'll allude to what they are um the ones that we can maybe go into detail about we will if we believe that this is a stepping stone towards diagnosing on your own or getting the right people involved in your life to maybe help something that is showing signs of trouble down the road. Right. I want to make sure to point out like, hey, um, n to not be too vague about what the warning is that we're asking people or, I don't know, suggesting that people could yeah. look for. So going back to the sensory issues, Kim knew that a lot because of her training and early childhood development. You know, I pretty much my whole adult life, you saw in some of my, um, some of the pictures that we showed in episode five, when we were dating, I was always wearing like a high and tight. I still have my hair, you know, close. I, you know, I'm not bald yet, but it's, you know, it could happen soon, but I always <laughs> keep my hair very short. Um, I tried to do Aiden's hair the same way. And Kids freak out when they go to the barber. They don't want their hair cut. His was a total, absolute meltdown when I tried to shave his head. You know, um, because of the feeling. Because of the feeling. The he did he not want that. And even when we did it, when we kind of had to, when he was in the hospital for, for AML and his hair was falling out and he wanted it, it was still a struggle for him. Right, he struggled with those things. So From that was age something two noticed, to right. age 12 was still a struggle for him. So that was an early warning sign of something that by itself meant nothing except he doesn't want his hair cut. But along with a lot of other things that we're going to talk about are building blocks to maybe where we are today right and the good thing that happened with getting him into speech so speech was the reason to get him into um, because children are normally covered under the state um for um help with those things um from is that an birth. iep no, or is that something different it's just um you can get into a like a speech specialist um it's like a a preschool for kids with, I don't know if they would call them disabilities now or what the term would be. Um, but from birth to three is covered by the state, I believe. And I'm sure it varies by state and things like that. But in the state we're in, that's, um, how it was. And then three to five is, you know, like preschool covered age. But once he got into that facility for that service, for the speech, um, they were able to work on some of those other things and they noticed the same thing, you know, he, you know, cause their finger, they're using paints and touching different things and they noticed the same things. And, um, so that was with the sensory issues. And then, um, he would also, I would watch him play and when he was little and he would play, like if he had cars, he wouldn't necessarily play with the cars, but he would line them up. 
you know, everything was organizing and stacking and more than just zooming them around and playing with them. And, you know, as a teacher, I'm like, eh. <laughs> you know, and I would, you know, play with him and show him things. But so that was another one. Um, he had this dinosaur book that we would read over and over and over. And it was a highly technical, like, it was not like a little kid's, like, board book with three words on every page. It was like an encyclopedia of dinosaurs that he would listen to every night. I would read it to him over and over and over again. And that was just the first instance, but we noticed all, you know, after that, ever after that, he would kind of fixate on a topic or a subject for a period of time. And he did that with his eating too. Like literally, I think in kindergarten, he had like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich every single day for like every single day. Um, so all of those things were just in my head, like, you know, wow. But at the same time, I'm like, he seems to be developing besides those things. He's developing normally, he's intelligent. Um, once he was in those social settings at preschool and kindergarten, he had friends. He seemed socially okay. So we had a conversation, and I kind of brought this to you because that's my education. And I just felt like I'm okay to just kind of watch this and just kind of see, you know, because I, I felt like until it interferes with something... I didn't want to make a big deal about it. I didn't feel like it was an adverse thing if it's not, if it's not being one. So that's kind of how I made that decision at that time. And now where I'm at, I'm like kicking myself that I didn't do more at that time. So it's juggling. Is this an issue or a quirk? Right. And yeah. And how do you go to the worst possible scenario as young parents? Yeah. It's a quirk. And I thought Kim's rationale was, look, if it's not affecting him at school or socially playing with other kids, you yeah. know, and yeah, maybe he wants to play the game a certain way, but who doesn't? Right. Making right? up his own rules. Making up his own rules. His but if way, it's yeah. a quirk, it's a quirk. Personality. But, but we didn't know that these were small building blocks to something else and you know so i i think we're just getting into specifics so let's get into specifics um i think if we bump forward a little bit you know i think on the outside um the way people perceived us you know kim was a school teacher at an elementary school um, we were lucky enough for our children to go to the school with her so it was it was just an all-American situation, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was so wonderful. I think a lot of the teachers that Kim worked with um, got to inter interact with our children. We got to interact with their teachers, um, you know, and they would do such an amazing job at school and just be, you know, model citizens and, you know, model students. And then sometimes when they come home, there would be a different person afoot. And, um, you know, I mean, Carly was uber shy, um, you know, always uber shy and had an affinity for her brother. 
I mean, yeah. she just loved the heck out of her brother. She, I mean, he was a year older and she just wanted to play with him mm -hmm. and have conversations with him and just, you know, and if he wanted to play Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh, she'd be willing to do that, you know? I mean, yeah, that wasn't her thing. That it's wasn't her thing at all, do, but you know? She would do it because she wanted to play with him and, you know, sometimes it would seem like they were getting along and playing, but all I heard most of the time was her yelling, yeah. Aiden, stop it, or yeah. things like that. So I think we wanted to believe that they were close and there might be some of those moments back then, but it, I don't know. She tried. She would always try and try. So Aiden didn't really like those interactions, right? He liked things the way made him feel comfortable. And this isn't a diss on Aiden. Right. This is his genetics, right? Well, this we're was, trying to figure this, is, this out. This is his DNA. This is his genetics. And he was so focused on keeping himself calm, right? Feeling comfortable. And if anything you know, happen outside of that, he would act out. Okay. So, you know, I don't want to sugarcoat the fact that, you know, I think he understood that there were a set of rules in school and because it was structured, he was able to fit inside that system of a structure at being in school. Home's not structured. You know, <laughs> Kim could be having a bad day. I could be having a bad day. Carly had many bad days, you know, and that would annoy Aiden sometimes, you know. Carly would want to be loving with Aiden and want to interact with him. And he looked at her being mean and loving exactly the same if it interfered with his comfort. And we didn't realize that. I think we still have questions around that. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. And you know, we're still trying to figure some of those things out. So maybe your input to that will help us. But the point I want to make is Kim mentioned the food, you know, he had very particular taste. He would not eat anything except for the five or six foods that he wanted to eat. Kim would make two to three meals a night because you know, we had to make something for Aiden and maybe she wanted to eat something healthy. And then, you know, I'm just a garbage can. So, you know, she would just, you know, make whatever. No, that, back then I made two. One <laughs> yeah. for all of us and something for something Aiden. Something for Aiden, right. That's what I did. So, but, you know, that's... Can I chime in yeah. on that? Because I had these conversations with the doctors. The doctors knew what Aiden's eating habits were like. And I got the whole spiel. Oh, he'll eat when he's hungry enough. So if you're thinking that, I, we did that. No, we did he won't. He would have starved. He didn't care. He was not going to eat anything. So that like went out the window. I mean, I, we had to feed him. And, and again, if he wanted to eat the same thing over and over again, like it wasn't killing me to just give him some, you know, to well, make no, him something. Well, no, it was killing you because there were some nights that you were like, I'm sick of this. It was, it was frustrating. I'm sick of this. Why don't you just eat what we're eating? I mean, yes. you're not 
medically, it's not going to hurt you in any way. Like, what is this? You know, and we didn't understand it. It was a struggle. We didn't feel those feelings that he was feeling. So, yes, it was... Kim would be like, I'm tired of making two meals every single night. This. <laughs> yeah. We would try it. Every, it that <clears throat> would build up, right? And then we would put the foot down and, you know, it, and nothing ever. Nothing changed. ever came of it. But I think the point that I'm trying to make here is, and, you know, maybe we'll start talking about these things a little bit more in detail. So when I say yes. these things specifically, what were some of the signs that we started seeing at age two, at age five, at age seven, nine, 12, all the way along the line that just didn't resonate enough with us until there was a massive blow up in the family? Well, and until we're in the hospital too, we're going to get to that point where, you know, we're telling you these characteristics of him that we're seeing and we felt like we weren't clear enough in our other videos so these are specifically some of the things that we're seeing because now when you're in a hospital with a tube in your chest and harsh chemicals going into your body and you already have sensory issues and well and those kinds of things it's really going to come out well and not just too. that not just that but you're absolutely right 100 percent. but there were different eyes the, it wasn't our same eyes here. We were living in a house here before we had to go live in a hospital right. for nearly a year. Yep. And the people that we lived with there didn't know our family dynamic, but they knew something's going on there. Yes. What are you guys doing about that? And we're like, well, that's normal, right? I mean, that's our firstborn child. That's That should be normal. That's all we've lived with. And they're like, that's not right. <laughs> There's something going on there. And I, I think we should leave it with this that probably at age four or five, I, I can't remember exactly where Kim may have all the details and maybe we'll start the next episode or a future episode with this, but Kim heard through Aiden's childhood from probably five years of age, somewhere around there, till 17, 18 years old, you know. Um, uh, the time was, I think it was around third grade. Third grade, third okay. Third grade to in the hospital. So third to sixth grade, like those three years, pretty much. Okay. So three we, straight years. Three straight years. I heard it. She didn't hear it, but I heard it after that. But <laughs> um, he would say, I hate you. I wish you would die. Mm -hmm. Four times a week, maybe seven. Can you imagine your child, you know, who you're taking complete care of, you know, and trying to do everything in your power to provide love and comfort and health to that child every day. And they come back to you with those things that you're doing and look you dead in the eye and say, I hate you. I wish you would die. And and it, people witnessed it. I mean, he would do it in front of my mother-in-law, my parents, my best friend. I remember the day my best friend heard it for the first time. She she went off. She was, <laughs> yeah, appalled. Because yep. you were taken to a concert that day. Yeah. And he yeah. said, I yeah. hate you. I wish you would die. On the way home, probably, <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll come up with reasons why, of course. <laughs> yeah. That's what I do. But it was on the way back after being overheated and... You know, again, I'm just always trying to connect those dots. Like, what's causing these things? What's the root issue? Where is this coming from? Yep. Because it's not normal. And I think what I hate 
about myself in this relationship. Now, he never said that to me, ever. Never said that to me. Always said it to her. But I fear that he never said it to me because he might have feared me, right? I wanted him to love his father. I didn't want him to fear his father. And um, I was never aggressive with Aiden, but I think that he feared me in some way because he would never say that to me, ever. Well, you didn't play and you didn't accept any of that. I'm sh- I have, you know, boundary issues, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> but I and think I the thing is, really... I think the thing is, though, when you say I didn't play, you know, and I, I had boundaries, there was no, there was no consequences for that. There was no consequences. You know, we didn't hit them. You know, we no. never spanked their children ever. You know, who knows if maybe that was a mistake. I don't know. But, you know, what were the consequences? What did he fear? You know, and that's... I don't know, the disappointment, the... Well, I could see that, you know. Um, but I think those are the things that we have been tiptoeing around that I think it's time that we add these to the conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, it gets, unfortunately, progressively worse, you know, because we've teased mental health, <laughs> you know, coming up. And um, there's a lot of, about that that we still don't know, but a ton that we learned. And, um, yeah, I, I think so. We, going forward, we're yeah. just going to make sure that we're more specific, um, including these pieces in with what, cause we're in the medical journey part of this now, but th- they, sh- these should be side by side and we were lagging this way back here. So right. we're just going to do a better job of that and just, you know, hope for your understanding and just know that we're doing this with these intentions that we have, you know, for ourselves, for others, um, and just to be truthful. Yeah. As painful as it will be, but, Mm -hmm. um, we just thought that if we're just going to do this, then let's just do this. So we will see you in the future on our next episodes. Thank you everybody. Bye now. Bye. Mm -hmm.